Welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast, the place for all things kids yoga. My name is Jessica Mujis, and welcome to the show. This week, I am continuing my Kids Yoga Perspective series with Sarah Casper. Before we start to talk, I've got tons of questions for her. I just want to give you a little bit about her background. Sarah Casper lives in Brooklyn, New York, and was first introduced to yoga during college. After graduating with a BA in psychology and a minor in child and adolescent mental health, Sarah went directly to graduate school to get her doctorate in psychology, keeping yoga as a hobby. In her first year of graduate school, Sarah realized that becoming a psychologist did not have her full heart and decided it best to step out of the program. In the following year, Sarah's relationship with yoga changed drastically. She moved to Utah and began practicing acro yoga and then traveled to India to complete her 200-hour yoga teacher certification. When Sarah returned to New York, she learned about kids yoga and earned her certification in kids yoga too. As an acro yoga practitioner, Sarah has always emphasized partner poses in her kids yoga classes, specifically the social-emotional piece that partner poses require. Most recently, Sarah has launched her own company, Comprehensive Consent. Her mission is to help children and teenagers develop their boundary setting and consent conversation skills in the present so that they are prepared for their relationships in the future. She uses her background in yoga, social-emotional learning, and psychology to create practical, mindfulness-based approaches in her work. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jessica, so much for having me. It's great to be on. I am really excited to learn a lot about your company, but I wanted to start kind of at the beginning um, of your kids' yoga journey. So what brought you personally to yoga, and then what brought you to be interested in kids' yoga? Um, I was first interested in yoga after taking a mindfulness and meditation course in college. Um, my therapist actually had recommended I do yoga, and I was resistant. Uh, I didn't, I thought it was very hippy-dippy, very woo-woo, and wasn't me. And then after this class, I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Uh, I went in. I loved it. It wasn't woo-woo. It was difficult, and I loved the breathing, breathing, and I loved the physical aspect. Um, and I've always, I had a background in playing sports in high school, and I've always loved going to the gym. Uh, so it was, it was a, it was a nice connection, and. I've always also worked with kids. My background, just educational background, is working with kids. I was always babysitting when I was younger. Um, I was camp counselor. Um, and so once I got my certification in yoga a few years after I started, uh, when I didn't know what I wanted to do next, kids yoga sounded kind of like a great place to start. Merging of the two. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you just a little bit about so I find it really brave when people kind of have this path set out. Like it sounds like you were like, I'm going to be a psychologist. And then you started your grad program. And then you had the courage to kind of say, oh, you know what? This maybe isn't the path for me. So I, I was just curious to ask you, like, um, what gave you the, the, the bravery to like make that decision and say, you know what? I'm going to make a 
a total change and I'm going to stop this program. Yeah, that was an extremely difficult decision. Uh, I was, it was years of uh, working hard in college and then uh, working in research labs, getting on internships, then the application process, the interview process. Uh, I think the school that I went to was something like a 8% acceptance rate. Uh, it was a lot to get in. And I was, I was like, this is, it's okay because this is going to be my life path. And so of course I'm going to go through all of this. Um, what else do you do after you finish school? When you're good at school, you can go to more school. <laughs> um, and, and so I did. I liked psychology and I, I just got there and I was in a, a heavily clinical program and they give you clients your first semester. So I had six therapy patients already. Um, and so I was able to actually be in the room and do one-on-one therapy. And I really love learning the classes and I, I, Loved being there for my clients, but realizing that they were very um, low-stakes clients, of course, because we were grad students. Um, but I didn't, I didn't see myself doing that for five more years of school and then onward. And, of course, there's so much more you can do with the, with the PhD or SID. But I didn't know that anything I wanted to do needed that degree, Um, And I had also uh, attended pretty young. Uh, I think my freshman year, I was 25. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, that's a big commitment to make right now, which is a conversation I should have had with myself maybe, you know, before applying or accepting. But, you know, life doesn't always go on a smooth path. Uh, And I, I decided I wasn't going to see this as a failure, I was going to see this very much as like, I'm opening a different door. Mm -hmm. That reframing was huge for me. And luckily, um, with that background in psychology, I was a little bit more prepared to do that, even though it still was very difficult. Um, And I was also um, given somewhat of a leave of absence. So that helped a lot too, if I'm being totally honest, of just the mental uh, adjustment of I can come back. I have the option to come back was huge. Um, and of course I told my friends, uh, you know, eight months later, by the way, I'm not coming back. And they were like, Oh, we already knew that. <laughs> it's hilarious that you, you th- like, it was clear. Um, so that's, that's that kind of story. Right. No, that's what, I mean, you're, you said like, Oh, you should have known sooner, but no, you were so young. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not young, like there's sometimes, I know for me personally, like I was a dancer, I'm like, I'm going to be a dancer, I'm going to be a performer, I'm going to go on this path. And then you're on this path and you're not necessarily doing what you love anymore after a while. And it's easy to kind of lose sight of that. So I just think it's great that you you made that decision. I know it wasn't easy. And I, I wanted to ask you about um, what then brought you to do a 200-hour certification in India. Sure. Um, and also just quickly on that last note, I think it's important to also mention that we're socialized, at least in like, I grew up in the um, Northeast, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I grew up to think that, you know, school is the right path. The creative endeavor isn't right. So I think it's also working a lot against a lot of socialization and the fact that I was young. Yes. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But how did I get to India? Um, so, <laughs> oh, you know, that little jump. Uh, so I actually, so at my, I have a brother who lives in Utah and I'm from New York. Brother lives in Utah. And I really wanted something different. Um, everyone con- kind of called it soul searching. So I went there. And um, when I was there, that's when I first took my uh, first 
took my first acro yoga class. And um, I also was doing yoga at the studio there. And uh, one of my favorite teachers, probably my favorite teacher ever, Christy Paul, shout out. Um, she got her teacher training in India. Um, and we were talking about how expensive it is to get your teacher training in New York it, and how much cheaper it is in India for um, for room and board and a 200-hour uh, Yoga Alliance certification. It was $1,200. What? Yeah. Pe- wow. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, and I don't want to talk finances and be whatever, but like people don't know this, that you get the same certification um, wherever you go and to go to India and to go and to learn from people who practice, who, when they think of yoga, they don't just think of asana. Uh, I didn't realize how important it was until I was there. Um, I really didn't go for that purpose because I had only been exposed to westernized yoga. I went because India seems cool and I, I'm having a year of travel and because it's cheaper. It was very practical and because I, I know someone who went there. But in the end, it ended up being so much bigger than that. And how long was this program? Was it an, an intensive? Yeah, it, yeah, it was a, a month intensive. Okay. Yeah, and then I traveled for another three weeks. So that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, it's just blowing my mind right now that studying yoga in India is cheaper than mm-hmm. here. Because <laughs> you would think like that's the, it's the motherland. That's where it started. You would, that's the place to learn. And so a that, place to stay, two Indian cooked meals a day. Oh, that's good. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. What part of India were you in? Uh, Mysore. And then you traveled, you said. Yeah, after and then the I world. traveled a little bit in the south to Goa, to Mumbai. Yeah, it was great. So then you go to India, you get your certification, and then you you come back. Where you, so you came back to New York, and then mm-hmm. did you did you know what you wanted to do next, or were you just kind of searching at that point? Nope, still had no idea. Um, you can't put a time limit on those answers. I really tried to, you know. I was like, oh, I just need a year to figure it out, right? Yeah. It always work. Those time limits. It would be so much easier. <laughs> uh, no, so I got I got back to New York. I knew I didn't want to go back to Utah. Um, so New York was the next obvious place. Uh, I really I went to college here too, and I, I loved being here. Uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I started teaching adult yoga. I I didn't love it. I I got nervous before teaching every class. Um, I felt like I wasn't able to give them what they needed. I felt like I didn't have the training with just 200 hours. And I've, I've heard other teachers say that too. And I think I didn't believe it until I experienced it myself. Um, and I was, I was working, um, a job at an office that I had had, uh, in college as well. Still didn't know what to do. Uh, and then I was looking for just something with kids. I wanted to, I missed psychology and I missed that, that kid background. And, in my search on probably like indeed.com, I saw something about kids yoga and I had no idea that existed. Uh, and I started looking it up and saw that there were all these yoga studios. Uh, and again, like I had kind of a, I was still in this flexible area of my life. And so I did uh, one of the weekend 30 hours, uh, actually at Karma Kids Yoga and, and got my certification and started teaching for them. That's so great. So you found, it, it just reminds me a lot of your, your story is just reminding me of my story a lot too. I'm like, I did the same kind of thing. And then the kids yoga thing, I'm like, wow, this exists. This is awesome. Um, so that's great. So then I really want to dive into now what the company that you recently started, because 
So it's called comprehensive consent. And I'm fascinated by it because I haven't ever heard about something like this, but it seems extremely important. So what inspired this idea? And can you just kind of tell the listeners a little bit about what it is? Yes, absolutely. So I think I'm going to start first with talking about acro yoga, and that will really nicely lead into it. So acro yoga is partnered acrobatics. And in kids' classes, it usually comes up as partner poses, whether it's two partners helping stretch each other or a more acrobatic pose like two people stand in table pose or crab pose on top of each other, bunk beds, if you will. Uh, for any kids yoga teachers, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, yep. <laughs> um, and you really, in those poses, you, whether it's a kid's class or whether you're doing, you know, intense, more intense acrobatics, you need to ha- be able to really talk with your partner about what they need and about what you need. It's not a one-sided conversation. It has to be, you're pulling me too much, or I need your arm straighter, or can we try with your leg on the other side, whatever it may be. Um, And there's also a piece of this motivational, like, you can do it. Like, let's try it. I'm here for you. And they actually are there for you because you're physically touching them. Like, you really feel that. It's a different... It's a different um, kind of dynamic than regular yoga because regular yoga, it's you and your your inner whatever you want to call it, <laughs> your inner soul, your 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 version of God, lowercase God. And in acro yoga, it's you and another person, and you have to be really mindful about that other person. And in all of my classes, I always loved stressing what was stressed in my acrobatic classes, which was make sure you get consent, make sure you're communicating. If you need a spotter, if you need someone to like watch you and make sure you're safe, ask for a spotter. And I realized that this was a lot of the same language that's used in adult romantic or sexual um, relationships. Like, hey, have you done this before? Hey, do you need this? Do I have consent? Um, Can I do this? All of those questions are the same thing. They're just talking about something different. You know, can I give you more? Can I give you less? Whatever it may be. Right. Um, and, I, and I saw that connection and I was like, oh, that's, if it's translatable in one area to another, it's a skill. It's, and it's a not specific skill. It, it'll show up everywhere. So I was kind of playing with this idea for the last year or so and of how can we teach kids these skills in things like partner poses and just regular everyday things so that they're more prepared for the higher stakes things in the future. So that's where, that's where my interest was peaked was in the partner poses. Um, and then, so what comprehensive consent is, is a company that's devoted to helping parents, teens, kids, families, classrooms build consent skills. And again, consent skills is not a term really that I've heard before. I think I made it up. I'm not, you know, not sure, but it's things like being assertive and being mindful about how you feel in a moment. Um, it's about knowing how to ask a question and ask a good question. Like, Hey, want to do it? Isn't really a question. Like, what is it? You know, and we make assumptions. We've been told to make assumptions about that, but really it's a skill to be specific. And how do you respond and how do you handle a rejection? And these are things that again, like come up sure, in sexual relationships, but also come up in relationships with your boss, with your friend, with your parent. Um, 
And so I, I thought back to my um, cognitive behavioral therapy days when I was, you know, learning psych, cog- um, clinical psych. I thought back to child and adolescent mental health. I thought back to mindfulness and yoga. And I created fun, like gamification way of teaching these skills to kids with the hope that that will prepare them more for the future when the stakes are higher. It's so amazing because I feel like although our culture now is talking about consent, especially in the sexual sense with the Me Too movement and, you know, we're saying you can say no, but I saw a post you had on Instagram, which is it's not as simple as saying no a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really, it's so much more complicated and nuanced. And so it sounds like it's funny, like what you're teaching the kids, I feel like I want to learn too. <laughs> like the, for yeah. parents, I'm sure parents listening are like, oh, mm-hmm. can you give us like a, an example of, of what a, a class might look like with kids? Because I know you said it's very yoga adjacent. It's very, it involves mindfulness. So kind of like, what are the types of things you might do in your workshops and classes? Yeah, so I've I'm working soon to be launched is the first course that's geared more towards the younger. So it's a it could go as young as four, but really six to twelve year olds, and that is a workshop for parents to do with their kids at home because I do think there's some kind of intimacy there. Um, the one on one I think is really important because in case kids want to ask questions, um, and again, even though it's not in a sexual sense, it's an awkward topic. Um, it's a touchy uh, topic, um, but I really want the parents to be involved because I also want them to reinforce the skills. So what that, so what that one on one would look like is a parent kind of learning some of the ideas, like how is coercion different than persuasion? What do those words mean? And what do you do when someone's trying to coerce you? And then you make a game of it. So um, for example, actually, we can use that one. (laughs) So my favorite phrase is, it comes from actually from law, it's asked and answered. So you asked for a hug, I said no. And then, but please, 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 I really want one. You asked for a hug, I said no. You're not talking about anything else. You just maintain um, in a very calm and assertive and clear way of like, you've asked and I am saying no. So what we so the gamification of it is the mom is now, you know, or the dad is saying, can I please, please have this to their kid? And the kid has to hold their ground. And it's funny because the roles are reversed. So the kid has to learn to say no to their parent, which is very fun for them because. My daughter would love that. How often are you told like, you get to say no to me. I want you. I'm going to be just, and you can be, it depends on the parent's personality. They can be funny. They can be, they can throw in some like learning thing there and ask them like, uh, they can throw in chores. Like, I want you to do the dishes. Like, I said no. Like, how fun is that? Um, And so, and then obviously like as and it's an ongoing conversation. So it's for six to 12. Some games are more appropriate for some ages than for others. And they're games that you can always do. And if you see a deficit in skills, you go back to that, that course and, and kind of relearn it together. Um, so that's what it would look like kind of at a home setting. In a, in a bigger classroom setting, it's, <laughs> it's also doing that, but it's doing that with, um, with other kids. So in one, I, in one workshop that I did, I have um, 
they, uh, the kids get ch- uh, Hershey kisses and they give them to a friend and then they say, can I have a hug? And the person who got the Hershey kiss, the rule is that person has to say no. So we're taking the concept of you feel like you owe someone, right? Because someone just gave you a Hershey kiss. You feel like you owe them, but you're still allowed to say, say no when it comes to a hug. So you just had these kids walking around a room, interacting with each other, giving each other Hershey kisses and saying, can I have a hug? No. Can I have a hug? No. And then talking about it after talking about where was it awkward? Where was it hard? Um, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you owed someone? So it goes from very light and, and kind of silly. And then all of a sudden, as you actually do the action, that practical piece, you get, you get to the deep part of it. And then if someone's ever having trouble getting to the deep part of it, that's where the yoga comes in and that's where the mindfulness comes in. So a lot of mindfulness activities that have to do with touch. So like if you sit and if you breathe and notice like how your shoes feel on your feet, like pay attention just to your feet and how do your socks feel and how do your shoes feel around your socks. So, and then that kind of can calm the system down, check in with the system with the body and, and then maybe be able to progress in that kind in that kind of conversation. So that's where the yoga piece comes in. This is amazing because I I feel like children, um, this is more innate to them. Like they, and and I know it's probably still hard for them to say no. Like after getting the Hershey kiss, it's probably still hard to say no because it's very, it is awkward. Like you had said, but I feel like planting the seed early where you're then talking about it and you're calling attention to what's happening in their body when it happens is then kind of giving them the the tools they'll need as they get older and this this happens in different ways these have this having to say no or to to put a boundary or to give consent so it's like I'm like super excited about this I'm like I'm like <laughs> I'm sending my daughter um and the, the 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 counterpart of that is then also but someone's also hearing the no and we don't talk about that in consent mm. at all no one likes to be told no no one likes to be let down especially after they do something nice even if it's totally reasonable to have been let down so we're also talking about that uh, that that asker is what I call it piece of it not just the responder not just the saying no but also receiving the no and what, what that's like. And that there's obviously also a lot of uh, social emotional learning uh, that happens there. And what do you do in terms of that in the classes? Do you just kind of discuss what it felt like to, to hear no and, and yeah, what happened to everybody? We talk about the, the in the moment, um, it's okay to be upset and they have the right to say no. Um, what are some things that you can say to a no? So kind of to prep them and start thinking of what are reasonable answers and what um, are not reasonable answers. So thank you, cool, gotcha, okay, um, are all reasonable answers. Even in some situations, even like, a, can I ask you later is a, is a reasonable question sometimes. Um, I usually after uh, you're not asking that more than once so you know kind of you gotta also use um your own intuition there but um so there's that in the moment and then there's the okay now once you're away from the person can you bring yourself to think of a, a time when you said no and someone didn't respect it or how you would feel um and that empathy there right that makes sense yeah. 
Now on, I want people to follow you on Instagram right now. It's not under comprehensive consent, right? Are your posts under your kids yoga handle? Yes, thank you. Uh, they they are. They're under first mat kids yoga, uh, spelled like you would think first, uh, spelled out with letters, and then mat kids yoga. Um, it is, and I'm having a Instagram issue where they won't l- let me have that name for another eight days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so depending, honestly, actually, on when you listen to this or when this comes out, Jessica, that it might be just comprehensive consent, one word. Um, but right now, if you search comprehensive consent on Instagram, you get directed to another. You'll 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 get to me. You'll get to me. I right. do appreciate that. And comprehensiveconsent.com is the website. Okay. Yeah. Because I, the reason I bring this up is I was looking at your Instagram account and I loved the visuals that you're putting out, the text that you're putting out or do you do you make those I I use canva I love canva they're so beautiful it's like these are great I thought you had a graphic designer graphic designer did my logo but the the little fun images um yeah those those are I have fun making those it's all it's nice to have that creative piece too I don't know if you've had that experience in in doing the podcast like those little creative moments you need yes definitely Mm -hmm. oh well you're really good at those there was one I wanted to ask you about you, you talked about the difference. There was one, it was the difference between boundary setting and then consent, I think it was. It was saying like one is one-sided and the other is two-sided. Can you kind of explain that? Sure. Um, so it's, we kind of touched on it with the, the rejection piece, um, which is that boundary setting is the person who's something's being asked of them and they're holding their ground and they're setting their boundaries. And we talk about that person in consent a lot. Um, and we don't really talk about the communication piece. So understandably, a lot of the consent conversation has been around uh, what I would call predatory touch is usually the, the category I put it in. It covers a lot of ground. Um, and in that case, it often is boundary setting. It's not a conversation. Um, but with a lot of relationships, with friendships, family relationships, partners, it's a conversation. If you just set your boundary and say, no partner, I don't want to do this. That where does that leave them? And where does that leave you as a unit? Whereas if it's, I don't like that, but can I offer you something else? Or can you ask me later? Or, um, how are you asking the question? Right? Cause we're not talking about the asker. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it, it's more inclusive of the fact that there's two people and then in so many relationships, that conversation piece is really important. And I think it's neglected and the, the withdrawing this, the consent piece also falls within consent and not boundary setting because you can set your boundaries, but what happens if midway through everything was going according to your boundaries, but then your boundaries changed. That that's not it, it to me. It's not inclusive of boundary setting. It doesn't talk about the interaction between two people that's ongoing. Um, so I think that's important because people often ask, "What do you mean consent for kids? Isn't just like setting boundaries?" And and that's where my ex- explanation comes in. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've never heard it kind of um, put that way, and it makes so much sense that it's just so much more complicated than. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just say no, that kind of thing. It's like there's so much more to it and a relationship and what's happening between two people, what, what it feels like to be the person that someone said no to. So mm-hmm. I, I just, 
I just think it's so great this work that you're doing and that um, to, to do this work with children, I think is so important in our world right now. So I wish you so much luck with that. And I'm, I'm, I told you, I'm, I'm coming to a workshop where I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Once the parent course, as the, I don't have a date, but soon. <laughs> yes. I'm like I'm virtual, whatever. I know we're in a yeah. very weird time. <laughs> Which brings me to how I always kind of bring into context what's happening in the world right now. And we are in such an insane period of time with not only a global pandemic, but with the racial injustice that's finally, you know, people cannot ignore anymore. And that's like, you know, at the surface and there's just so much happening. And I like to ask people kind of what you're doing personally to take care of yourself during this time. That is a really kind question. Thank you. Um, what am I doing right now to take care of myself in this time? I think actually doing this work is kind of a part of it because I'm creating something new and something that innately has power dynamics in it in consent to think about how, instead of just saying, what can I do? How do I do the right things on social media? Because that's a complicated place to navigate. And um, getting, getting exhausted from certain conversations. Taking care of myself in that way, I think doing the work and, try, and trying to make it to talk about things like power imbalances and how that affects consent and bringing, um, trying at my best to bring intersectionality into that, whether it be from that or um, in terms of gender, um, in terms of race or in terms of gender, I think that's been really helped help me feel like I can take action because I don't like, you know, no one likes to feel helpless. Um, and then also a lot of snuggling with my dog. <laughs> that always helps and then also that yeah but I think that being able to to feel like I can take an action that might actually have an impact in the future I, I think both of those have been strangely self-care things yeah no that makes a lot of sense yeah um and as you might know I always like to kind of wrap up the episodes with a little kids yoga gem and I know you're in the kids yoga world but I guess more specifically if you you have one specifically to this idea of consent for children and boundary setting. Um, what would be a piece of kind of practical advice that you can offer to the listeners? Ooh, a gem in terms of consent. Um, talk about like talk about it is my is what my gut is saying. Um. I change it. My, my gem is learn about it yourself. Look into this yourself and, and it will help whether you're a kids yoga teacher and you want to bring this into the classroom or whether you're a parent and you want to bring it into the home. Um, I know I had to, you were saying you kind of didn't have this knowledge. I definitely had to educate myself. I mean, I learned about consent through, through acrobatics. Like that's not how it's supposed to be done. I don't think, I think we're supposed to learn that a little earlier on. Um, so I think, um, by taking the time to educate and then pass on that information and be a model 
of good consent, um, not assuming because of your gender that you do need to ask or don't need to ask for consent or anything like that. Um, my, and especially for, I guess, uh, the yoga teachers out there, my favorite, um, my favorite line is a line my dad used to say to me. He used to say, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. And I was adapted that to you can pick your nose, you, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your friend's nose unless you ask first. So if, so for, I use this for behavior management in the classroom. If kids are like poking each other and like disturbing each other, I'll, pause and ask them if they asked if we could do that. They're so taken aback that I'm asking that, that, that they kind of freeze and are like, uh, oh, I, I guess I didn't and that's not right. Maybe I shouldn't. And if they want to, I'll say, great, you can ask them again later and after we're done doing this activity. Um, but it kind of takes them out of the moment and reinforces the skill. Um, you can have fun. You can, you know, fool kid around and whatnot, but make sure you know, the other person's on board. I love that. And that's so funny what your dad said. <laughs> it's so true. Like, unless you ask first. <laughs> unless you ask first. That's the 2020 edition. Yes. <laughs> that, that, there's the gem, unless you ask first. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much. So we had briefly said where your Instagram is, but can you tell us again where people can find you? Yeah, the best place to find me right now is probably comprehensiveconsent.com. If you sign up for the newsletter there, once my Instagram is live and, and classes are live, um, then you'll get all of that information right to your inbox. Um, and actually, there's also a free down download right now, uh, a co- consent competence checklist. So parents can kind of, or even teachers can look over what, do my kids know how to do these things? And if they don't, you know where the gaps are and where the learning needs to be. And if they do, then fabulous. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds great. Yeah. Try that. Yeah. Well, thank you again. It was so great to talk to you. And I can't wait to see where this work goes in this virtual strange world we're in. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Jessica. Um, this was great. And we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or if you've listened before, there are a few ways that you can help this podcast to keep going. So first, you can click subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave a rating and a review. This will help more people find the podcast. You can follow us on social media at the Kids Yoga Podcast on Instagram and the Kids Yoga Podcast on Facebook. You can also email me. I love to hear your questions, comments, feedback. The Kids Yoga Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>